Welcome everybody to 1001 Stories for the Road, and welcome back to part two of Zane Gray's Bonefish. And now, part two and the conclusion of Zane Gray's Bonefish. Next morning, we started out with a high northeast trade wind blowing. Nothing could dampen our ardor. It was blowing so hard up at number two viaduct that we decided to stay inside. There's a big flat there cut up by channels, and it is said to be a fine ground for bonefish. The tide was right, and the water was clear, but even in the lee of the bank, the wind blew pretty hard. We anchored in about three feet of water and began to fish. After a while, we moved. The water was about a foot deep, and the bottom clean white marl with little patches of vegetation. Crabs and crab holes were numerous. I saw a small shark and a couple of rays. When we got to the middle of a big flat, I saw the big, white, glistening tails of bonefish sticking out of the water. We dropped anchor, and much excited, we were about to make cast when R.C. lost his hat. He swore. We had to pull up anchor and go get the hat. Unfortunately, this scared the fish. Also, it presaged a rather hard luck afternoon. In fishing, as in many other things, if the beginning is tragedy, all will be tragedy, growing worse all the time. We moved around up above where I had seen these bonefish, and there we dropped anchor. No sooner had we gotten our baits overboard than we began to see bonefish tails off at quite some distance. The thing to do, of course, was to sit right there and be patient. But this was almost impossible for us. We moved again and again, but we did not get any nearer to the fish. Finally, I determined that we would stick in one place. This we did, and the bonefish began to come around. When they would swim close to the boat and see us, they would give a tremendous surge and disappear, as if by magic. But they always left a muddy place in the water. The speed of these fish is beyond belief. I could not cast where I wanted to. I tried again and again. When I did get my bait off at a reasonable distance, I could feel crabs nibbling at it. These pests robbed us of many a good bait. One of them cut my line right in two. They seemed to be very plentiful. And that must be why the bonefish were plentiful, too. R.C. kept losing bait after bait, which he claimed was the work of crabs, but I rather believed it to be the work of bonefish. It was too windy for us to tell anything about the pressure of the line. It had to be quite a strong tug to be felt at all. Presently, I felt one, and instead of striking it once, I waited to see what would happen. After a while, I reeled in to find my bait gone. Then I was consoled by the proof that a bonefish had taken the bait off for me. Another time, three bonefish came along for my bait and stuck their tails up out of the water and were evidently nosing around it, but I felt absolutely nothing on the line. When I reeled in, the bait was gone. We kept up this sort of thing for two hours. I knew that we were doing it wrong. R.C. said, bad conditions but I claimed that these were only partly responsible for our failure. I knew that we moved about too much, that we did not cast far enough and wait long enough, and that by all means we should not have cracked bait on the bottom of the boat, and particularly we did not know when we had a bite. But it is one thing to be sure of a fact, and another to be able to practice it. 
At last we gave up in despair, and upon paddling back toward the beach, we saw a school of bonefish with their tails in the air. We followed them around for a while, apparently very much to their amusement. At sunset we got back to the launch and started for camp. This was a long, hard afternoon's work for nothing. However, it's my idea that experience is never too dearly bought. I will never do some things again, and the harder these fish are to catch, the more time and effort it takes, the more intelligence and cunning. All the more I will appreciate success if it ever does come. It is in the attainment of difficult tasks that we earn our reward. There are several old bonefish experts here in camp, and they laughed when I related some of our experiences. Bone fishermen are loath to tell anything about their methods. This must be a growth of the difficult game. I had an expert bone fisherman tell me that when he was surprised while fishing on one of the shoals, he always dropped his rod and pretended to be digging for shells. And it is a fact that the bonefish guides at Matacum did not let anyone get a line on their methods. They will avoid a bone fishing ground while others are there. And if they are surprised there ahead of others, they will pull up anchor and go away. May I be preserved from any such personal selfishness and reticence as this? One of these bonefish experts at the camp told me that in all his years of experience, he had never gotten a bonefish bite. If you feel a tug, it is when the bonefish is ejecting the hook, and then it's too late. The bonefish noses around the bait and sucks it in without any apparent movement of the line. And that can be detected first by a little sagging of the line or by a little strain upon it. That is the time to strike. He also said that he always broke his soldier crabs on a piece of lead to prevent the jar from frightening the fish. Dr. B tells a couple of interesting experiences with bonefish. On one occasion, he was fishing near another boat in which was a friend. The water was very clear and still, and he could see his friend's bait lying upon the sand. An enormous bonefish swam up and took the bait, and Dr. B was so thrilled and excited that he couldn't yell. When the man hooked the fish, it shot off in a straightaway rush, raising a ridge upon the water. It ran the length of the line and then freed itself. Later, Dr. B's friend showed the hook that had been straightened out. They measured the line and found it to be 555 feet. The bonefish had gone the length of this in one run, and they estimated that he would have weighed not less than 15 pounds. On another occasion, Dr. B saw a heavy bonefish hooked. It ran straight offshore and, turning, ran in with such speed that it came shooting out upon the dry land and was easily captured. These two instances are cases in point of the incredible speed and strength of this strange fish. R.C. had a splendid fight with a bonefish today. The wind was blowing hard, and the canoe was not easy to fish out of. We had great difficulty in telling when we did have a bite. I had one that I know of. When R.C. hooked his fish, it sheared off between the canoe and the beach and ran up shore quite a long way. Then it headed out to sea and made a long run and then circled. It made short, quick surges each time jerking R.C.'s rod down and pulling the reel and line out of his fingers. He had to put on a glove. We were both excited and thrilled with the gameness of this fish. 
It circled the canoe three times and tired out very slowly. When he got it close, the very thing happened that I feared. It darted under the anchor rope, and we lost it. This battle lasted about 15 minutes and afforded us an actual instance of the wonderful qualities of this fish. Yesterday, R.C. hooked a bonefish that made a tremendous rush straight offshore and never stopped until he had pulled out the hook. This must have been a very heavy and powerful fish. I had my taste of the same dose today. I felt a tiny little tug upon my line that electrified me, and I jerked as hard as I dared. I realized that I had hooked some kind of fish, but as it was wiggling and did not feel heavy, I concluded that I had hooked one of those pesky blowfish. But all of a sudden, my line cut through the water and fairly whistled. I wound in the slack and then felt a heavy fish. He made a short plunge and then a longer one, straight out, making my reel scream. I was afraid to thumb the line as I let him go. With these jerky plunges, he ran about 300 feet. Then I felt my line get fast and handing my rod to R.C., I slipped off my shoes and went overboard. I waded out, winding as I went, to find that the bonefish had fouled the line on a sponge on the bottom, and he had broken it just above the hook. Yesterday, the tail end of the northeast gale still held on, but we decided to try for bonefish. Low tide at 2 o'clock. I waded upshore with the canoe, and R.C. walked. It was a hard job to face the wind and waves and pull the canoe. It made us tired and wet. When we got above the old camp, the tide had started in. We saw a bonefish tail standing up out of the water. Hurriedly baiting our hooks, we waited to get ahead of them. But we couldn't catch them waiting, so we went back to the canoe and paddled swiftly ahead, anchored, and then got out to wade once more. R.C. was above me. We saw the big tail of one bonefish, and both of us waited to get ahead of him. At last I made a cast, but I didn't see him anymore. The wind was across my line, making a big curve in it, and I was afraid I couldn't tell a bite if I had one. I was about to reel in when I felt a faint tug. I swept my rod up and back, hard as I dared. The line came tight. I felt a heavy weight, a quiver, and then my rod was pulled down. I had hooked him. The thrill was remarkable. He took a short dash, then turned. I thought I'd lost him, but he was running in. Frantically, I wound the reel, but I couldn't pull in the slack. I saw my line coming. I heard it hiss in the water, then made out the dark shape of a bonefish. He ran right at me, almost hit my feet. When he saw me, he darted off with incredible speed, making my reel scream. I feared the strain on the line, and I plunged through the water as fast as I could after him. He ran 400 feet in that dash, and I ran 50. Not often have I of late years tingled and thrilled and panted with such excitement. It was great. He brought back the days of boyhood. When he stopped that run, I was tired and thoroughly wet. He sheared off as I waited and wound in. I got him back near me. He shot off in a shoal place of white mud where I saw him plainly, and he scared a school of bonefish that split and ran every way. Then my fish took to making short circles. I couldn't keep a tight line. Lost. I wound in fast, but felt him again, 
then absolutely lost feel of him or sight of him. Lost again! My sensations were remarkable, considering it was only a fish of arm's length at the end of the line. But these bonefish rouse and anger as no other fish can. All at once I felt the line come tight. He was still on, now running inshore. The water was about a foot deep. I saw the bulge, or narrow wave, he made. He ran out a hundred feet and had me dashing after him again. I couldn't trust that light line at the speed he was swimming, so I ran to release the strain. He led me inshore, then upshore, and out toward sea again, all the time fighting with a couple of hundred feet of line out. Occasionally he would make a solid thumping splash. He worked offshore some two hundred yards, where he led me in water half to my hips. I had to try to stop him here, and with fear and trepidation, I thumbed the reel. The first pressure brought a savage rush, but it was short. He turned, and I wound him back and waded inshore. From that moment I had him beaten, although I was afraid of his short thumps as he headed away and tugged. Finally I had him within twenty feet circling around me, tired and loggy, yet still strong enough to require very careful handling. He looked short and heavy, pale checked green and silver, and his staring black eye, set forward in his pointed white nose, could be plainly seen. This fish made a rare picture for an angler. So I led him to the canoe, and ascertaining that I had him well hooked, I lifted him in. Never have I seen so beautiful a fish. A golden trout, a white sea bass, a dolphin, all are beautiful, but not so exquisite as this bonefish. He seemed all bars of dazzling silver. His tail had a blue margin and streaks of lilac. His lower fins were blazing with opal fire, and the pectoral fins were crystal white. His eye was a dead, piercing black, staring and deep. We estimated his weight. I held for six pounds, but R.C. shook his head. He didn't believe that, but we agreed on the magnificent fight he'd made. Then we waded upshore further and began to fish. In just five minutes I had the same kind of strike. Slight, almost imperceptible, vibrating. And I hooked a fish exactly as I had the first one. He was light of weight, but swift as a flash. This time I essayed with all skill to keep a taut line. It was impossible. Now I felt his weight, and again only a slack line. This fish, too, ran right to my feet, then in a boiling splash sheared away. But he could not go far. I reeled him back and led him to the canoe. He was small, and the smallness of him was such a surprise in contrast to what his fight had led me to imagine he was. Arcee had one strike and broke his line on the jerk. We had to give up on account of sunset at hand. There was another hard thunderstorm last night. The last few days have begun the vernal equinox. It raised torrents at night and stopped at dawn. The wind was northeast and cool. Cloudy overhead with purple horizon all around. A forbidding day. But we decided to go fishing anyhow. We had new, delicate, three-six tackles to try. About seven, the wind died away. There was a dead calm and the sun tried to show. Then another breeze came out of the east. We went up on the inside after bait and had the luck to find some. Crossing the island, we came out at the old construction camp where we had left the canoe. By this time, a stiff breeze was blowing and the tide was rising fast. 
"'We had our troubles paddling and poling up to the grove of coconuts. "'Opposite this we anchored and began to fish. "'Conditions were not favorable. "'The water was choppy and roily. "'The canoe bobbed a good deal. "'The anchors dragged, and we didn't see any fish. "'All the same we persevered. "'At length I had a bite, but pulled too late. "'We tried again for a while, only to be disappointed. "'Then we moved.' We had to put the stern anchor down first and let it drag till it held, and the canoe drifted around away from the wind, and then we dropped the bow anchor. After a time I had a faint feeling at the end of my line, an indescribable feeling. I jerked and hooked the bonefish. He did not feel heavy. He ran off, and the wind bagged my line, and the waves also helped to pull out the hook. Following that we changed places several times in one of which R.C. had a strike, but failed to hook the fish. Just opposite the old wreck on the shore, I had another fish take hold, and upon hooking him, had precisely the same thing happen as in the first instance. I think the bag of my line, which I could not avoid, allowed the lead to sag down and drag upon the bottom. Of course, when it caught, the bonefish pulled free. In some places we found the water clearer than in others. "'Flood tide had long come when we anchored opposite the old camp. "'R.C. cast out upon a brown patch of woods "'where we have caught some fine fish, and I cast below. "'Perhaps in five minutes or less, R.C. swept up his rod. "'I saw it bend forward, down toward the water. "'He had hooked a heavy fish. "'The line hissed away to the right "'and almost at once picked up a good-sized piece of seaweed. "'That's a big fish!' I exclaimed excitedly, Look at him go! That seaweed will make you lose him. Let me wade out and pull it off. No, let's take a chance. Too late, anyhow. Gee, he's going. He's got two hundred yards out. Two thirds of the line was off the reel, and the piece of seaweed seemed to be a drag on the fish. He slowed up. The line was tight. The rod bent. Suddenly the tip sprang back. We had seen that often before. Gone, said R.C. dejectedly. But I wasn't so sure of that, although I was hopeless. R.C. wound in, finding the line came slowly, as if weighted. I watched closely. We thought that was on the account of the seaweed. But suddenly, the reel began to screech. I've got him yet, yelled R.C. with joy. I was overjoyed, too. "'but I contained myself, for I expected dire results from that run. "'Zee, zee, zee!' went the reel, and the rod nodded in time. "'We must get rid of that seaweed, or we're going to lose him. "'Pull up your anchor with one hand. Careful now.' "'He did so, and quickly I got mine up. "'What ticklish business! "'Keep a tight line,' I cautioned, as I backed the canoe hard with all my power. It was not easy to go backward and keep head on to the wind. The waves broke over the end of the canoe, splashing me in the face so I could taste and smell the salt. I made half a dozen shoves with the paddle. Then, nearing the piece of seaweed, I dropped my anchor. In a flash, I got that dangerous piece of seaweed off R.C.'s line. Good work! Say, but that helps. We'd never have gotten him, said R.C., beaming. I saw him look then, as he used to in our sunfish and bent pin days. We've not got him yet, I said grimly. 
"'Handle him as easily as you can.' "'Then began the fight. "'The bonefish changed his swift, long runs "'and took the slow sweeps to and fro, "'and whenever he was drawn a few yards closer, "'he would give a solid jerk "'and get that much line back. "'There was much danger from other pieces of floating weed. "'R.C. maneuvered his line to miss them. "'All the time the bonefish was pulling doggedly. "'I had little hope we might capture him. "'At the end of fifteen minutes he was still a hundred yards from the boat, "'and neither of us had seen him. "'Our excitement grew tenser every moment. "'The fish sheared to and fro and would not come into shallower water. "'He would not budge. "'He took one long straight run up the shore, in line with us, and then circled out. "'This alarmed me, but he did not increase his lead.' He came slowly around, yard by yard. R.C. reeled carefully, not hard enough to antagonize him, and after what seemed a long time, got him within a hundred feet, and I had a glimpse of green and silver. Then he ran out again. How unbelievably swift! He had been close, then almost the same instant, he was far off. "'I saw him on a wave!' yelled R.C. "'That's no bonefish!' "'What can he be, anyhow? "'I believe I've got a barracuda.' "'I looked and looked, but I couldn't see him. "'No matter what you think you saw, "'that fish is a bonefish,' I declared, positively. "'The runs he made! "'I saw silver and green. "'Careful now. "'I know he's a bonefish, and he must be big. "'Maybe it's only the wind and waves "'that make him feel so strong,' said R.C. "'No, you can't fool me. Play him for a big one. He's been on twenty-three minutes now. Stand up. I'll steady the canoe, and watch for all that sudden rush when he sees the canoe. The finish is in sight. It was an indication of a tiring fish that he made his first circle of the canoe, but too far out for us to see him. This circling a boat is a remarkable feature, and I think it comes from the habit of a bonefish of pulling broadside. I cautioned R.C. to avoid the seaweed and to lead him a little more, and he had to be infinitely careful not to apply too much strain. He circled us again, this time a few yards closer. The third circle, he did not gain a foot. Then he was on his fourth trip around the canoe, drawing closer. On his fifth lap clear round us, he came near his fifty feet. I could not resist standing up to sea. I got a glimpse of him. He looked long, but I didn't say anything to R.C. We had both hooked too many big bonefish that got away immediately. This was another affair. He circled us the sixth time. Six times! Then he came rather close. On this occasion, he saw the canoe. He surged and sped out so swiftly that I was simply paralyzed. R.C. yelled something that had a note of admiration of sheer glory, "'in the spirit of that fish. "'Here's where he leaves us,' I echoed. "'But, as luck would have it, "'he stopped that run short of two hundred yards "'and turned broadside to circle slowly back, "'allowing R.C. to get in line. "'He swam slower this time "'and did not make the heavy tugs. "'He came easily, waving to and fro. "'R.C. got him to within twenty-five feet of the boat, "'yet still could not see him. "'It was my job to think quick "'and sit still with ready hands on the anchor rope. "'He began to plunge, taking a little line each time. "'Then, suddenly, 
I saw R.C.'s line coming toward us. I knew that would happen. Now, look out! Reel in fast! I cried, tensely. As I leaned over to heave up the anchor, I saw the bonefish flashing nearer. At that instant of thrilling excitement and suspense, I couldn't trust my eyesight. There he was, swimming heavily, and he looked three feet long, thick and dark and heavy. I got the anchor up just as he passed under the canoe. Maybe I did not revel in pride of my quickness of thought and action. Oh, he's gone under the rope, gasped R.C. No, I yelled sharply. Let your line run out. Pull your tip down. We'll drift over your line. R.C. was dominated to do so, and presently the canoe drifted over where the line was stretched. That second ticklish moment passed. That had scared me, but I could not refrain from one sally. I got the anchor up. What did you think I'd do? R.C. passed by my remark. This was serious business for him. He looked quite earnest and pale. Say, did you see him? He said, looking at me. Wish I hadn't, I replied. We were drifting inshore, which was well, provided we did not drift too hard to suit the bonefish. He swam along in plain sight, and he seemed so big that I would not have gazed any longer if I could have helped it. I kept the canoe headed in, and we were not long coming to shallow water. Here the bonefish made a final dash for freedom, but it was short and feeble compared with his first runs. He got about twenty feet away, then sheared, showing his broad silver side. R.C. wound him in close, and an instant later the bow of the canoe grated on shore. "'Now what?' asked R.C. as I stepped out into the water. "'Won't it be risky to lift him into the canoe?' "'Lift nothing. I have this all figured out. Lead him along.' R.C. stepped out upon the beach while I was in the water. The bonefish lay on his side, a blaze of silver. I took hold of the line very gently and led the fish a little closer in. The water was about six inches deep. There were waves beating in, a miniature surf, and I calculated on the receding of a wave. Then with one quick pull, I slid our beautiful quarry up on the coral sand. The instant he was out of the water, the leader snapped. I was ready for this, too. But at that, it was an awful instant. As the wave came back, almost deep enough to float the bonefish, I scooped him up. He's ours, I said, consulting my watch. Thirty-three minutes! I give you my word, that fight was comparable to ones I've had with Pacific swordfish. Look at him, R.C. burst out. Look at him. When the leader broke, I thought he was lost. I'm sick yet. Didn't you almost bungle that? Not a chance, R.C., I replied. Had that all figured. I never put any strain on your line until the wave went back. Then I slid him out, the leader broke, and I scooped him up. R.C. stood gazing down at the glistening, opal-spotted fish. What a contrast he presented to any other kind of a fish. How many beautiful species have we seen lying on sand or moss or ferns just come out of the water? But I could remember no other so rare as this bonefish. The exceeding difficulty of the capture of this, our first really large bonefish, had a great deal to do with our admiration and pride. For the hard work of any achievement is what makes it worthwhile but this had nothing to do with the exquisite, 
indescribable beauty of the bonefish. He was long, thick, heavy, and round, with speed and power in every line, a sharp white nose, and huge black eyes. The body of him was live, quivering silver, molten silver in the sunlight, crossed and barred with blazing stripes. The opal hues came out upon the anal fin, and the broad tail curled up, showing lavender tints on a background of brilliant blue. He weighed eight pounds. Symbolic of the mysterious life and beauty in the ocean. Wonderful and prolific as nature is on land, she is infinitely more so in the sea. By the sun and the sea we live, and I shall never tire of seeking and studying the manifold life of the deep. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road. We hope you enjoyed this Zane Gray fishtail. Send us a review and let us know if you did, and there'll be more to come. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll be back soon. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Stories for the Road, and we'll be back soon. Good fishing, everybody.